I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gubby Gubby people of Southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. This is episode number 142, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with Tobacco Sunset. Tobacco is an embodiment counselor, helping you connect deeper with your body, sexuality, and sensuality. He combines somatic psychology, pillars of awareness, and yogic principles in his practice. Tobacco also draws on meditation techniques, intuitive movement, and creative mediums to empower participants to explore untapped areas of themselves. Tobacco is the co-founder of Personal Development Project and App, Time to Decompress. He holds a Diploma of Counseling and is currently undertaking post-grad studies in Gestalt Therapy. He also facilitates workshops and retreats for Naked Man and is a trained yin yoga teacher. Alchemizing the world of creativity and somatic therapy, Tobacco is facilitating himself and countless queer and curious folk into a new paradigm of embodied artistic liberation. And you can find him on Instagram at Tobacco Sunset. That's D-A-B-A-C-O Sunset, or one word, or on his website, tobaccosunset.com. And the two of us in this episode talk about queerness and the sexual spectrum, particularly how men who are sexually fluid experience challenges like performance anxiety. We also discuss sexual identity, the queering of heterosexuality, uh, heteronormativity, homonormativity, the necessity or lack thereof of labels for our sexual identity, and the importance of celebrating the sexual pioneers and provocateurs who came before us, so celebrating our elders. It's a really beautiful conversation. Um, I've only just recently uh, had the pleasure of connecting with Tobacco. So, um, it was nice to, to have a chat with him on the podcast like this. So, I hope you enjoy listening. Personal habits of body care or hygiene can have a lot to do with popularity and social success. Let me show you. So, the next time that somebody wants you to go to bed with them, with or without a condom, then just picture that you're actually going to bed. It's not just you and him or you and her, it's that you're packing along a loaded revolver with you when you go. Boy, if you hung around with the guys I know, you, you wouldn't be able to stand it. They just talk about sex all the time. Tobacco, we can jump straight in. And the way that I like to start is with just a gentle invitation for you to share a bit about who you are, what you do. And mostly what I'd love to hear is what are you really passionate about? Mm. Yeah, thank you. Firstly, I'm really excited that we can sit down and have this chat. Um, curious where the next hour is going to take us. But to give you a little bit of a background of my story, uh, I haven't always been in the queer personal development space. My background actually started as a video journalist. And I've just noticed that my lovely video light has disappeared. Um, but for those that are listening, that doesn't matter. I will continue. Um, so, my background's in video production. So, I used to work as a video journalist, do some design work, a little bit in film and TV as well. 
But a couple of years ago, end of 2019, actually, I came back from living in Berlin, which was a really transformative four years living over there in Germany and really starting to have a flourishing experience around my queerness and my sexuality. And that's when I came back to Australia and I was really, really fired up to get uh, into some sort of community work, whether that was like counseling or therapy. And yeah, I just kind of started attending men's work programs, retreats, workshops, and kind of got opportunities to start assisting in those spaces as well um, with a group called Naked Man, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more further down in the podcast, but that's a same-sex attracted men's organization. And Kurt, who runs that, was really lovely to give me opportunities to help out on his retreats and workshops. And that's where I kind of found my groove, I guess you could say, in, in that space. And now I'm at a place where I've created my own programs and I do one-on-one -on -one counseling and coaching with clients, predominantly working with queer men, but also looking to kind of expand into to helping all sorts of people on their journeys. But where my passion really lies is, is around queerness and queer identity and living authentically in full expression. And, and so I see queerness as a really beautiful permission piece that isn't specifically always related to sexuality. Like I, I see queer, queerness as more um, a political perspective on how we move through this life. So yeah, queerness is really this huge umbrella that um, helps me in my personal life, in my work life. And yeah, that's, that's my passion. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. I um, appreciate you. Uh, yeah. Talking about, yeah, the, the kind of multifaceted things that you're doing. It's really, really cool. And, and I really appreciate you saying that like queerness isn't like explicitly, whether you don't think of it as explicitly sexual, because something that, that really bugs me, I suppose, is like the, the flattening of like queerness and, and, you know, being gay to like just a purely sexual thing. And like, I see that done in predominantly, I see that done in like conservative media, right? Like on Fox news as an example, right? Like it's just, they'll talk about the, the, uh, they'll flatten gayness, queerness to just like the act of sex with, you know, someone of the same sex, right? And it's just like, and, and they'll use that as rhetoric to then go on this whole, you know, think of the children, pearl clutching kind of, you know, tirade. And um, yeah, and it really like, yeah, strips queerness, you know, identity of, of nuance. And I think it's like so fucking... It's just annoying. It's annoying when I see it happening, and and so um, and so I really appreciate that that you kind of named queerness as, as much more than that. And so I was wondering if you know this is maybe a, a big place to start, but if you were able to like elaborate on that for 
uh, for me and for people that are listening about what like that kind of means for you, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I just want to touch on the history as well. It's been something that's been happening for decades, if not centuries around, particularly for gay men classifying them as homosexual and ref- and just really t- making it just into a sex act, um, kind of categorizing a whole section of people into how they have sex. And, and that's a really easy way of pushing a segment of society, a minority away as an other, a misunderstood other. And I think we're really in a very interesting time where society, mainstream societies kind of cl- clued into that a lot. I know you mentioned Fox News and, you know, there's obviously still some mainstream media that makes their money off simplifying things down into binary. But I think for the most part, particularly in Australia and how we've seen gay marriage get passed and now there's a lot of trans issues at the forefront, that there is a a complexity and a nuance that's now coming through, starting to be understood around queer issues. And that's really exciting and really exciting for me to be part of that queer work and, yeah, working with a lot of men, particularly middle-aged gay men who have really struggled with that homosexual label and that, I guess, in a sense, like belittling a whole identity down into a sex act and kind of undoing so much of that social conditioning and patterning that happens through society and the way that we categorize certain groups of people. So it's really lovely to be in this space where, you know, I'm giving permission to a lot of people that I work with just to let go of certain labels that aren't serving them anymore and and giving permission to explore new sides of themselves that they thought they weren't allowed to feel into because they had a particular label over their head. So it's really exciting to to see clients really drop the labels and expand and, and feel new sides of themselves and feel that life force energy coming through. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I want to speak more into that. My initial thought was to like offer some examples of like what we've been speaking of and go down the kind of like I don't want to say negative because it's necessary to kind of call out, but I want to, I want to talk celebratory with you. So um, you mentioned like when you went to Berlin, your flourishing of your sexuality and your queerness. And um, now you're kind of doing something similar for men that you're working with and dropping those labels and kind of feeling into their like expanded sense of sexuality and identity. And I'm, I'm curious, like, what does that look like? I suppose, you know, like I'm, I'm really curious around what that might be like for queer men and for gay men. Yeah. I mean, Berlin made such a huge impression on me. I, I grew up in Sydney in my mid twenties, I moved to Melbourne and that was a really, it was a bit of an experiment for me to like, okay, I'm going to make a new life for myself in a new city where I don't know many people that went pretty well. And then I really stepped up to like my main life challenge of, of 
packing a couple of suitcases and going to the other side of the globe and, and seeing if I could, you know, make it in Berlin. And it was also at a time where I was becoming more and more curious around my sexuality. Like I spent a lot of my twenties kind of ping-ponging between relationships with men and women and hooking up with men and then hooking up with women. And like, I was okay with this label of bisexual, but I really had this hunger to fit into kind of one camp a little bit more than the other. And it was in Berlin that I was able to see my fluid sexuality in this really celebratory light. And before that, I just got, I remember just getting so frustrated at seeing relationships collapse or getting, you know, disenchanted by certain hookups because it just wasn't kind of, yeah, something wasn't clicking. But then I got to Berlin where, it's this city that really thrives off non-judgment and really letting whatever expression wants to move, you know, move, whether that's like creating things through the art scene there or going to the amazing clubs and all sorts of different things. The queer community is creating there. It's this, very fertile um, melting pot of expression and curiosity. And really over those four years, I developed this confidence, this understanding of myself and this groundedness that I hadn't felt before. So when I came back here to Australia, I was like, ah, oh, like my capacity has been expanded and I like, this is great for my personal journey, but now I feel like it's time for me to give back some of these experiences, some of this expansion that I have been so lucky to, to feel. I really want to like serve that back into community, which is what I've been finding my way through over the past two, three years. Mm. And what are some of the things that, you know, the men in your community are, you know, seeking advice or guidance or help for. Like I kind of try and really serve the kind of straight white dude community. And um, I guess and I'm pretty familiar with some of the things that show up for them, but I'm just curious around like the, the men that you're working with, what's going on for them? Yeah, I, I'm mostly working with men that are kind of, on the sexuality spectrum. But I mean, the easier answer is looking at some of the gay men that I've worked with, particularly in, you know, the middle, middle age bracket. For so many of those men, often they can't put to words what they're missing or lacking, but when we drop into work, whether that's in group therapy or through workshops and these kind of things, it's so often around a an intimacy that doesn't just come from the sex act or for a lot of gay men, 
they get stuck in a kind of um, one style of sex, which is like sports sex, rec- recreational sex. And that's, you know, dictated by a very strong hookup culture. And we have, you know, apps like Grinder and Scruff that make it very easy for sexual interactions to happen on top of, you know, cruising and um, gay beats, which is also very a big part of hookup culture. Uh, but it's really the, the sensual intimacy is the best way I can describe it, which is lacking for a lot of men in the gay queer community. There is not the, not the softness or languaging around or confidence really how, how to fulfill that side of ourselves. I think there's this, what often happens is a bit of a vicious cycle around the recreational sex, like wanting to fill the cup by having more and more sex. But when we slow down and we start unpacking, peeling back the onion of what is actually where the hunger is there, it it very often comes back to I want this like sensual, soft, and also emotional intimacy that doesn't get satisfied by sports sex. And then I'm also working with, you know, younger, younger clients that are a little bit more fluid and confident in their sexuality. Um, and yeah, a, a lot of that comes down to consent and boundaries that's a that's another big portion of the work that i do um yeah languaging our needs and also finding the right words and confidence to express those needs with partners i feel like that's a huge pillar also of these workshops and retreats and programs that i run like queer spirit that's in the, the second round and you were very gracious enough to come in just last, um, just earlier this week to run a session. So yeah, it's really, it's really exciting to be cultivating these programs like Queer Spirit and, and seeing what community needs. Cause I can, I like to leave a bit of space in these programs to see what the themes are that are arising and, you know, with every group, there's going to be different commonalities between participants. So it's, yeah, as well as really tending to the group, it's also a learning experience for me as well to start tuning into what this constellation of people uh, are journeying together. I appreciate you speaking into that, mate. And, and what I heard was a bit of the quantity over quality approach to sex, um, which I definitely, that resonates with me personally, because I've definitely had that approach to sex myself um, as a younger man. And it's definitely something I see a lot of my, you know, straight clients um, exhibit as well in terms of like a mentality with regards to like how they think about sex. And um 
and yeah, I really enjoyed uh, earlier this week speaking to uh, the group of guys in, in Queer Spirit. Be- and I quite enjoyed actually doing the, the activity at the very beginning where um, we spoke about what performance looks like, right? When, when we're unpacking performance anxiety, because I've done that little exercise with you know, groups of men who are, I, I mean, ostensibly, I, I mean, I didn't survey them, but you know, the, the workshop was for straight men and, and for men who have sex with women. Uh, and then I've done it in, you know, uh, spaces where there's been a whole mixture of uh, sexual orientations and then to do it in a exclusively queer container as well. Every time the, the words are the same, the stereotypes are the same, like what it means to perform for me, at least in my observation seems to be very similar, regardless of who you have sex with. And, um, and I thought that was quite interesting to me that like, I feel like men in general have this expectation that you know comes from porn, comes from mates, comes from movies, comes from media, wherever it is, but also comes from, you know, internally they put pressure on themselves to have sex a certain way and to approach sex a certain way. And within that is like ideas of masculinity and what it means to be a man in, you know, our culture and in our society. Uh, and so uh, there was a big commonality there for me, which I, I suspected, but it was nice to kind of have confirmation, I suppose, um, in real time from a group of queer men. So um, that's something that I, I, I felt was like valuable to speak into as well. It's like you know, that performance piece and like, you know, uh, especially because uh, maybe I'm rambling a little bit here, but I feel like there's and maybe to circle back to what I was sharing before, I feel like there's a perception of like what queer sex, gay sex is supposed to look like. And I know a lot of straight guys have that image in their head because I work with a lot of them around their resistance to anal play, for example. And so I speak to a lot of guys about what they you know, perceive to be you know, what's going to make them gay, the act of anal penetration when that's you have to explain to them that's not how sexuality works um and there isn't a button up there that you press and all of a sudden that changes your orientation um and so um yeah and so i'd love to maybe just unpack this a little bit more with you around like you know in terms of like the men that you're working with these queer men these gay men like what expectations do they have about how they should show up as as sexual men as men in the bedroom so to speak Mm, yeah, I really like that you brought in, you know, the comparisons or actually the similarities from all these different groups of people talking about performance, brainstorming what sexual performance looks like. And we're all thinking the same things. Like there is that commonality there. There's not this huge barrier between queer folk straight folk, heterosexual folk. It's, it actually makes me really comforted to hear that, you know, we're all, we're all much the same when it comes down to it. And we're all kind of drawing on these con- collective consciousness or zeitgeist ideas around sexual performance. 
Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. Something I've heard from bisexual men in uh, on my podcast and just in speaking with them in general is what you kind of described earlier is like an expectation that they need to fit into one box or another into one category or another and um and i feel like that's pretty unique for queer men in general um i don't think you know i never have really experienced that as a straight dude like had to think about you know the box that i necessarily fit in and having to make a decision and and you know go through that process so i was wondering if there was similar things like that or other things that maybe are unique to to gay and queer men with regards to like you know the expectations that they might place upon themselves yeah well i can certainly speak from my own personal experience around my journey with bisexuality i feel like a lot of my 20s i was you know with women that felt threatened by my bisexuality, not feeling the safety and security in the relationship because they felt like I was going to be promiscuous, go up and go off and hook up with uh, a man. Then, you know, being with men, feeling like, you know, there's that stereotype of gay men looking at bisexual men being like, ah, they're just, you know, by now gay later is one of the the sayings around they're going to be gay eventually they're just you know pussyfooting around and and treading water until they really want to commit to being gay so yeah i i can certainly relate to that feeling like i don't fit in either in either place and and kind of getting rejected by both you know heterosexual women and gay men like not really feeling like either of them fully trust me or welcome me i mean now i identify as pansexual and that's kind of a label that feels more correct for me but also at the same time any of these labels always feel a little bit claustrophobic in some way or another and um yeah, for for a lot of the men that I work with, we're really dissolving a lot of these labels, questioning, questioning the labels, questioning values, questioning expectations. And yeah, the more I do this work, the more I realize it's around permission to follow, you know, whatever our gut instinct is telling us where the aliveness is in that moment and really trying to dissolve away a lot of those social expectations 
you know, limiting self-beliefs, doubts. Yeah, the, the more I do this work, the more I realize that, you know, queer, straight, whatever, there's, there's like the performance piece there. There's just, there's quite a lot of commonality. Like we're all human at the end of the day. We all have our neuroses and anxieties and yeah, there's, there's obviously certain nuances in the queer community, particularly a lot of stigma still around HIV and now monkeypox is something that's also at the forefront of sexual health. And yeah, like I said earlier, communication is so important. So giving, giving people confidence to talk, for example, around sexual health, you know, getting more confident about, yeah, I was tested three months ago, the results came back negative. And since then I've had unprotected sex in this way and that way with, you know, three people, for example, like, practicing these kind of things that's that's what i'm seeing is really empowering and also giving people the the permission to ask those questions as well you know so you know i told you about my sexual health what what about you can you tell me the last time you were tested and and a little bit more information so i can make a decision that feels uh, best for me, you know, information is power. Yeah. And I love the normalization of those types of conversations. And there's a lot there that I wanted to, I was just like flagging in my mind as you were sharing. It's like, Oh, I'd love to speak about that. Oh, I'd love to do, you know, this as well. Um, so it reminds me of a, um, what you were sharing reminds me of a workshop that I did and it was, I was unpacking like normativity. So you know, kind of labels. Um, and I spoke, to begin with, I spoke about like heteronormativity, like what, what that kind of, you know, means for uh, people that are heterosexual. Like this is the right way to be straight. This is the right way to be, you know, um, a straight man, for example, you know, and this is what it should look like. Uh, and then uh, an extension of that was like looking at homonormativity. So like this idea of like, this is what it means to be uh, a gay man this is what it is like this is the right way to be a gay man and um the example that i used for that um as i was doing research for it was uh neil patrick harris and like his and his family right because he's like the kind of like all american gay dude you know he's like you know white wealthy successful has a husband they've got two kids they're blue-eyed blonde-haired white picket fence you know like this um almost like you know and then the kind of the way that i was you know speaking about it's like the the like nuclear heterosexual family but like you know imposed upon a gay couple it was it was kind of like what homonormativity is is the way i kind of explained it and i feel like the subversion of that and the and just like the like moving away from that in general is like what can be quite uh that, that that's what's difficult right that like you know that the exploration of anything that isn't necessarily that like really like normative way of of existing is where like a lot of fear and anxiety and judgment and confusion can come from right because that's not what is 
accepted and celebrated and tolerated by society, I suppose. And, and so that, that leads me to this other idea that I came across when I was you know, kind of researching for that workshop. Is this term queering heterosexuality. And like, I quite like the term, although I, from what I understand, there's a bit of controversy around it because of the history of the term queer being used as a pejorative, right? Using, used as a, as a slur by heterosexual folk. So, um, so like the concept of like queering heterosexuality, like uh, there was, you know, some queer advocates that were like, we don't want those two things to be put together because fuck you pretty much. And, um, and I was like, yep, I definitely get that. <laughs> and, and so, but, but I like the concept of it, of like, and one of the examples they, that they um, and I forget the person who wrote this article that I was reading and I uh, apologize for that, but they were talking about like the use of uh, sex toys, for example, like was, you know, championed by and, um, and invented by, you know, the, the first silicon dildo was invented by a gay disabled man or you know gay man with a disability and um you know the the queer community like really championed sex toys and then you know straight folks got on to that bandwagon and like but that like really opened up a lot of like straight couples sex lives right and they kind of like queered their sex life by the use of sex toys which came from like predominantly the queer community and so that was like a really interesting tangible example of like this idea of queering heterosexuality and i feel like now another example of that could be the moving away from monogamy as well like monogamish and people that are like exploring open relationships and polyamory and different like just non-traditional relationships in general i feel like like that's another example of like the queering of heterosexuality which i think is quite interesting and so i'm just going on a bit of a, a rant at the moment but i was just curious to know what your thoughts are on like that idea and if there was anything that you wanted to reflect on yeah, I love it. I love this concept of queering because I, I, it goes back to what I said earlier around queerness is much more than sexuality. It's actually like a political framework or perspective. I, I feel like the role of queer people in society are really agitators. Like there is this beautiful role of queerness to agitate and to question the status quo it's like do we want to all be in you know nuclear families where we buy a house and just just you know two parents and a couple of two and a half kids live together in a little isolated bubble is that how we want to build community and yeah, I, I see that there's so much benefit from letting queerness as a political lens, if you will, ripple through society. Like, like your example of the sex toys, I feel like this huge benefit for people to absorb or not so much absorb, but kind of like activate the queerness inside them. Because I think everyone has a, a questioning inside them. And to me, that feels like everyone's got a little bit of queer spirit. It's just how, how, did, how can we awaken that? And how can we encourage, yeah, curiosity around things 
you know, even babies from a very young age, they like to put things in their mouth and do they like it? Do they want to swallow that? Do they want to spit it out? Like as humans, we're constantly, well, hopefully we're constantly trying things, seeing if we like it, seeing if we don't. I think what happens into adulthood, we get a little bit more rigid and stuck in our ways and we think we know everything we like and everything we don't like. But, you know, if we we bring our queer spirit alive, it kind of, yeah, it helps see the world through fresh eyes again and we start to question certain values that got, you know, indoctrinated or told to us over and over again when we were young and also certain things that happened to us like throughout through our lives certain potentially traumatic events like starting to look at these things again in from a supported place but questioning 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 everything and you know questioning brings change it can bring innovation it can bring evolution development so yeah i really see queerness queer community having such an important role in society and you know you always are going to have your let's give Fox News another shout out again on this podcast, but like the other side of the spectrum, because, you know, like yin and yang, there's always going to be a balanced polarity. So queer, the queer community and the queer side of society is like pushing what I feel like is pushing ahead into curiosity, change, development, and then you've got the other side of people more stuck in their ways, like anchoring down and being a foundation of like, no, we like whatever's we're doing right now is good. We don't need to change here. We have the stability. Um, but yeah, for me, what's really fucking exciting is like, how far can we go out into the unknown? And we're seeing that in all sorts of different ways about like, um, you know, nuances around pronouns becoming more mainstream. Like whenever I go to trainings and workshops and we go whip around the circle and introduce ourselves, it's, it's you know, part of the format to specify pronouns. Um, and, yeah, I know some people, some people I know really find that quite triggering and, also, you know, everyone's valid to have their own reaction. I'm what inspires me most is seeing change and, and noticing how that feels in my body. It's like, oh, okay, like getting getting curious about where I sit on each of these different things that are changing and evolving and getting experimented with. Also, it reminds me of like one of the apps that I have a profile on is Field. I don't know if you know Field. It used to be used to be kind of a little bit more like a Tinder for threesomes. And now it's kind of exploded into this beautiful expression of all the all the wonderful ways that people can identify 
around their sexuality. So you were mentioning like heteronormativity and homonormativity. There's labels now of like homo flexible and hetero flexible on this app. If you're kind of leaning more one way, but you know there's room for new experiences there. Um, and also all these nuances around um, open relating, monogamish, um, polyamory, like the the whole spectrum. It's actually really, it's like an interesting sociological study swiping through the profiles on field. There's, there's really um, beautiful expressions of, of how people are able to language their desires and how they identify themselves in these bios. It's really, it's, yeah, one of my f- favorite apps of the last few years, definitely. Amazing. I'll have to check out Field. I've got an email in my inbox from Field, actually, um, asking me to do some promo for them. So I'll uh, have to check it out and and um, see if it aligns. I'm, I'm curious about like, you know, I feel like because I've done a little bit of reading into this because I was gonna I was gonna do some social media uh, posting around it and I haven't got around to doing it yet. But from when I was reading it, it sounded like there's like a little bit of tension between maybe the uh, older, middle aged, you know, gay men, uh, lesbian women, you know, you know, people that are uh, maybe a little bit older, and the younger generation of people that are coming through with regards to um, like the tension being with regards to the amount of labels, for example, and like the added nuances. And I think that the term from what I understand is like micro labels as well. Um, and it's like, my, and so like as an observer, right, as someone on the outside, I suppose, just kind of looking in like the only, um, well, I kind of, kind of try and hold those dualistic perspectives, right. Of, of being like, Maybe we, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit before, maybe we don't need labels, you know, at all. And then it's like, well, also labels are kind of super necessary for people that have never felt like they fit in as well. And so I've never really had to challenge my identity or label, I suppose. So, um, so I, I kind of can't really speak into it, but I, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on like, do we actually need labels in the first place? Should we just abolish them all? Like, is there, is it, is there a necessity for you know, labels? Should we have more labels and more language? I'm just curious what your thoughts are around this. It's a really good question. It's such a good question. I feel like we could devote a whole podcast series to talking about labels. At least I could. I could talk about labels for hours and hours. My, like I, I totally appreciate humans as a species. We're a social species that loves to learn and interact and relate and also part of that is categorize like we we need labels to understand one another we need these shorthand i guess buckets you could think of them as to put certain people in and make sense of this wonderful experience we call life but from an individual perspective i think labels are very limiting sure it can be easy to say introduce myself and say hi i'm pansexual um but if i always sit in the pansexual bucket myself even when i'm on my own and just like that's my identity 
it can start to kind of close doors and close opportunities and make me a bit stagnant. So for communication's sake, labels are lovely, uh, but for identity purposes, I want to explode the labels and see what happens. A little bit chaotic. But what I also want to talk to is you mentioned a bit of tension between like the middle-aged gay men that I have done some work with and the younger generation, I guess you could say, that's a little bit more, I guess, liberated in a sense. And, and I really empathize with older gay men, particularly those that have lived through you know, the AIDS epidemic of the 80s, like the, the original 78ers of the Mardi Gras who fucking fought for rights, like to wear their uh, gayness or lesbian identity as something that is not only safe to, to be in society labeled as, but also, you know, they, they've fought so hard for it as a, um, it's their badge of honor, like, and also surviving through the AIDS epidemic. Like, this generation of older gay men have been through so much trauma. And uh, I really feel that talking to some of these older men and yeah, my heart breaks, like it, it cracks and I feel this collective trauma that is still there and there is still so much work to do around that and to, yeah, have supportive spaces to allow some of that uh, to be processed. And now we have younger generations that, are really reaping the benefits from all this fighting and hard work and survival that younger the the older um, gay men have gone through, and now the younger generation's like, okay, let's just start playing around with pronouns and expression and bringing in more nuanced labels and kind of creating more complexity in the queer community i can totally appreciate how that is confronting for someone that fought so hard just to be say that they're gay and be able to um yeah feel safe and celebrated in society and now it's like okay we're moving on to the next thing like society keeps on moving forward so yeah, I, I, I see both sides of that one. Like, I, I, I get it, but I'm, I, I want to support older men in, in their unpacking of trauma. And I also want to really empower whoever wants to push forward in, in the queer space to do that, whether that's in, at the individual level or in community or even in the collective conscious layer, if you will. Oh, thanks for speaking into that. Um, and uh, I, 
you know, I, I am curious if there's like acknowledgement of or celebration of that generation of the LGBTQIA plus community. Like, is there, I mean, the, the one as like a person, again, from the outside, the one that comes to mind is, of course, pride. But like, is there specifically acknowledgement of like that older crew? Mm, it's a good question. I'm lucky enough to do a lot of work with this uh, group called Naked Man, which actually has a slightly older demographic. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like that that work, whether it's on retreats and workshops and things, there's certainly some younger people that come along to that, but I feel like it's my way of really getting a deeper understanding myself of these issues that older generations of LGBT folk, well, predominantly gay men in, in this context have, have gone through and, and what is still challenging for them to bring to the surface. So in answer to your question, I don't think there is enough recognition or at least I'm not aware of, yeah, the older generations really being celebrated besides maybe Mardi Gras and we have World Pride coming up in Sydney, um, you know, February, March um, 2023. So that's really exciting and I hope I see a lot of celebrations for older generations. Yeah, I mean, get, like mainstream gay culture is very good at celebrating the young, buff, sexy, you know, Adonis archetype. Uh, Sydney also has some really great queer parties um, for like a slightly alternative um, scene. But I'm, yeah, I'm, it's making me really curious. Like, where do we celebrate the older, uh, older generations? And one one place that comes to mind is the Naked Man organization. And just a week ago, they had their big camp event. So, two hundred and fifty men. Uh, congregated for a four-day festival. And that was a really beautiful thing to witness and be a part of. I was facilitating some workshops there and meeting a lot of people that I'd never met before. And that sense of community and camaraderie and support and playfulness was just such a beautiful thing to be part of. It wasn't like a public display because it was very in internal community private festival but um yeah it was really beautiful for me to be part of that and, and witness some of that celebration of older older gay men yeah would love to see more things like that yeah i think that's probably a good question for like you know, I'm, I'm almost 30 now, but for, for people, you know, my age and younger, I guess, of like, you know, are you doing any acknowledgement of 
those who came before you and and the the lack of acknowledgement for veterans for example is like something that comes to mind this is like such a tangential kind of point here but like i think as a society we don't really do a really good job of acknowledging our elders i think that's something that we in the west struggle with a lot is like the the people that that came before us and and really honoring that so i I think it's probably a good question to ask of society um you know in addition to to like the queer community so yeah just getting me reflecting on like my where i don't do that in my life actually that acknowledgement of of some elders in my life yeah i um i make acknowledgements in my own way so my queer spirit program which is an eight-week um transformational journey on the on the very first opening ceremony i spend some time doing an acknowledgement of country uh but also talking about some of the queer history that um is important to me to acknowledge and some of that uh is also talking about the the uh, targeted murders that were happening in the 80s and 90s around Sydney. The, there were up to as many as 88 gay men that were targeted by gangs in, um, yeah, hate crime attacks around, often around the coastline, which were gay beats or cruising areas at that time and yeah i grew up in sydney in the 90s and i was not aware of this and i think the police were not really taking these crimes very seriously and and i just heard recently now there's a uh, an inquiry or even a royal commission looking at these incidents um and that's something that you know i i want to acknowledge some of the the trauma some of the blood spilt on our land here in australia involving queer issues and queer safety and yeah so i i find ways of weaving in these important pieces to the work i do um but yeah i would i would also love to see something more public and and a bigger acknowledgement as well that's really beautiful as well the that kind of bring it into your own um personal acknowledgements because it's yeah it's it, it's inviting me to think about some some ways that i might be able to bring some acknowledgements in um when i do workshops and and courses and stuff so yeah, I appreciate that that inspiration for me to like tap a bit more into that because um, yeah, it feels really important and um, yeah, really I really feel to do that. Um, I'm mindful of time, tobacco, and I'm I'm. There's so much more that I wanted to chat with you about, uh, and as we were talking, there's more stuff that's coming up. Um, you mentioned heteroflexibility and homoflexibility. I'd love to dive into that at some stage with you as well. Um, because I've been, I've had pushback from people saying, because I would probably say that I personally identify as heteroflexible and I have my reasons for that. Um, but I've been told that I'm contributing to bi erasure by doing that. And I wanted to unpack that with you. Uh, but we're coming up to the hour mark and um, I'm mindful of time. Uh, 
but maybe there's some some threads here that we could follow in a in a follow-up podcast at some stage if that was something you're amenable to definitely there's lots of juicy juicy topics that i'm sure we could sink our teeth into would love that well i'm I'm just grateful that you spent the last hour chatting with me and um yeah just speaking into your work and uh, doing a bit of educating for me as well and hopefully for our you know the people that are listening um so yeah just thank you so much for spending the time I'm, i'm really grateful yeah it was my pleasure thanks for having me on no worries Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind-the-scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.